Lord, that's our pray. That's what we pray. That you would give us Jesus. This world is it's corrupt and full of evil. We don't want a part of it. We want you. So you can have all this world. Just give us Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, happy Father's Day, right? Happy Father's Day to me. To me. I'm staring down the kids. No, happy Father's Day to you, fathers. It's awesome. I love this day. I love Father's Day. love Mother's Day. And uh, uh, one of the, the, the ways, one of the ways that we uh, really honor fathers is just simply to thank them for their investment in our lives, right? And so that's what we're called to do. That's what who the essence of who we're called to be as as fathers is to uh, to uh, invest in the lives around us, whether it's in the lives of our spouses or our kids or one another. Uh, so there's many of you, and uh, I've had many people through my life that have been that kind of father figure in a way that uh, that has really poured into me. So I want to say thank you to you guys. And uh, as we get started. Um, one of the main things I think that, uh, along with that investment, that uh, the number one things that a dad can do for their kids is this: is to be their encourager. It's just simply be their encourager. Now that's not to say that 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 they that that, that dads you or me as a dad that we just endorse anything that our kids are doing. And say yeah, go for it. That's not encouragement. That's not what we're talking about definitely not biblical encouragement the essence of a couple of verses the first one in Colossians chapter 3 verse 21 and the second one is actually Ephesians 6 4 and the apostle Paul says kind of the the same thing in both of these verses in regard to dads and the reason why we thank dads uh, he says these, this charge to dads, he says in Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become what? Discouraged. That's right. So we don't want to discourage our kids. We want to encourage our kids. In Ephesians 6.4, the Apostle Paul says something very similar. It says, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So we're not to provoke uh, I'm, I, I, is it too early for confession in church? Shouldn't it come at the end? Uh, there's been times where I've been that provoker, right? A little needling, a little maybe too much tickling, a little too much wrestling. And the next thing, you know, uh, uh, Tammy's saying, hey, you guys are getting too big. She was mostly, it's obvious to say that to me, but by the time Robbie got into high school, and if we did any wrestling in the house, Something was going to fall off of something and get broken. 
And uh, so there's been times where I've provoked probably more than I should have. Um, Studies have shown that positive words of encouragement are two times more effective than criticism. So we talk about encouragement. They're two times more effective than criticism when it comes to teaching, coaching, or leading in the workplace, raising your kids, you name it. Encouragement is the vitamins that helps make us grow as young people, helps make us continue to grow as adults. And I really believe, really believe that that's one of the main aspects of being a father is to be that encourager. The great news is that we serve the greatest encourager, right? We have a heavenly father that is the greatest of encouragers that encourages us to grow in our faith. And in doing so, then we become stronger. In doing so, then we become more bold in our faith. In doing so, we we continue to grow up, uh, as Paul says in Colossians, rooted and built up in him is the concept, is the idea. And it's God as our heavenly father, along with our earthly fathers. And I'll throw in a slight caveat. Maybe not all of us had the greatest of uh, earthly fathers. I get it. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that today that we can't be full of the Lord's joy, full of the Lord's happiness, and being thankful for those father figures, and especially, especially our heavenly father, who's here to encourage us. Today we're going to look at a few of those examples of how our earthly, how our heavenly father encourages us. Uh, one of the things that we're learning and, and, uh, and studying through in our Sunday night discipleship course, Experiencing God, is this concept that God, it's God who always takes the initiative. It's God who always takes the initiative with us and, and, and with mankind. He always takes that initiative. And so he's setting that agenda and the example to follow. That's encouraging, right? He doesn't leave us abandoned. He doesn't leave us uh, uh, to, to flail in the water by ourselves. God takes that initiative with us. It's a great example for us, and especially you men, you men, it's a great example for us as men to follow in the Lord's leading in that way, to be those guys that take that initiative. It's how men we should pattern our lives in leadership, in marriage, in parenting, taking the initiative and being the encouraging to those that are around us. Uh, To be men that go beyond, this is often where people get stuck in the mud. So just uh, I'll throw this in, it won't cost you a thing. Often people get stuck in the mud by simply just identifying a problem and then to continue to complain about that problem. That's not taking the initiative. Just identifying what's wrong doesn't fix what's broken. It doesn't, it doesn't lead up out of the mud. We can get stuck. We got stuck uh, yesterday. Actually, for the last couple of days, all this wet weather, uh, we're in the midst of first cutting. We're chopping silage. And uh, we have one truck in particular that has a tendency to get stuck. And so we always carry a chain with us because I can hook it onto the hook, you know, pull it out with the, my forge harvester's. 300 horsepower, so we're not short on horsepower, and it'll pull pretty much anything out of the mud. But yesterday, yesterday, one of the bigger trucks, the big 10-wheelers, really got stuck, and it seemed like that thing just continued to sink in the mud, and that's a lot how it's 
like when we just identify a problem but then don't do anything about it. We need to be men of action who take the initiative not just to identify the problem but also be part of the solution and cast a vision for those around us for a solution. Speaking of taking the initiative, ladies, it's how you can be supportive and encourage and pray for your husband and thank him today on Father's Day uh, to, to lead in that regard, as it were, in the home, uh, bringing up your kids, young men. This idea of taking the initiative, it's how you can build your future by following God's purpose and plan and God's pattern for your life. Young ladies, very similar. It's how you can build a future by following God's purpose and plan and pattern for your life. And I'll throw in a caveat for both the young men and the young women. Don't settle for somebody eventually that won't do that, that's not part of that game plan, that's not following God's plan for their life, that's not seeking the Lord. Don't be, as Paul says, unequally yoked in that regard, right? God always takes that initiative, and it's a great example for us. And that taking that initiative to me is extremely encouraging and uh, makes me want to follow after Heavenly Father even more. And he takes that initiative by inviting us into a relationship with him. Now, from Romans chapter 8, we've seen how God grows us and grows our faith and the first two areas that we've looked at is the first one two weeks ago was this idea. He grows us through bringing freedom. He grows us by bringing freedom. The idea there is that uh, God sets us free from, from three things, the penalty, the power, and eventually the presence of sin. So we have freedom from sin to live a godly life. A lot of times we don't feel free. We don't feel like we're leading a godly life, but in Christ, and that's the ultimate phrase in all of uh, uh, chapter 8 of the book of Romans, it all refers to those in Christ, in Christ, in God, in the Spirit. They're all synonymous. When you're in relationship with God, He empowers you to be free from the penalty of the power and eventually the presence of sin. Last week we looked at uh, the idea of suffering, and how God strengthens us with the very thing that is meant to destroy us. It was a tough message, I think, depending upon your circumstance or your life experience. But the reality is, is that God uses suffering. He uses the very thing that the enemy meant for evil, like Joseph says in Genesis 50. The very thing that was meant for evil, God actually flips the script and uses to make you stronger in your faith to give you a testimony of his goodness. And so he uses it to build us up and to give himself and to proclaim glory for himself. Today, today on Father's Day, we're going to look at this idea of encouragement. And God encourages our faith at the end of Romans chapter 8, the last eight verses. God encourages our faith through his journey of unconquerable love. His love is unconquerable. Oftentimes we don't see it phrased that way, but it's true. God's love is completely unconquerable. And we've been looking at Romans 8 here, and we get to verse 31, where Paul strings together a list of questions, seven in total. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to get them on your lap and open them up. 
If they're on your phone, flip there, shut down your other apps, and uh, follow along. <laughs> don't think I don't know that there aren't other apps open in church. As long as we're on the confession train, I've done it myself. So I'm not above the fray just because I'm a step or two on the stage. Uh, I, know where, I know where things are at. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Let's read it here. Let's read through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who is also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, verse 37 is our key verse today, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ our Lord. What a proclamation. What a proclamation of how much we mean to God. Right? How much we mean to God that, that His love is completely unconquerable, unbreaking, unbending towards you and towards me. I find that extremely encouraging, right? Let's go through those list of questions with this idea in mind. These questions, these questions that, seven questions that Paul starts off with in verse 31 I want, to, I want us to, to envision or, or think about these questions in this way, is that they're waypoints. You guys know what a waypoint is? Uh, my little hunting GPS, I can, I can be walking along up in the mountains, I can stop as long as I got a signal from the satellites, I can push a few buttons, and I can drop a pin. We would probably know it more as a pin when it comes to computer or Google Maps or or uh, are in our iPhones, we can drop these pins, but uh, essentially they're a waypoint. A waypoint is an intermediate point, according to the dictionary, uh, in an intermediate point or place on a route or line of travel, a stopping point or point at which, at which course is changed. The first use of the term, this is, I found this actually interesting, the first use of the term traced clear back to the 1880s. In modern terms, it most often refers to the coordinates which specific, uh, specific one's position on the globe at the end of each leg. I find it interesting, 1880. What was going on in the 1880s? Anybody know their history real quick? The West was being settled. It was actually being surveyed. Uh, people were flocking to the West in caravans. Uh, many of your ancestors, uh, some of mine, flocked West in those 
huge wagon trains, and, and the west was being surveyed out. And so these waypoints then, then helped people both get there, but also then uh, became kind of the basis, the surveying became kind of the basis of the whole homestead movement, property lines, state lines, uh, borders, you name it. These questions that Paul asks at the end of chapter 8 in Romans can serve, if you will, as waypoints in our life if we would look at them that way. Let's go through the list one more time. Go back to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? What's Paul talking about? What things is Paul talking about? He's talking about everything leading up to verse 31. 1 through 30 Verses 1 through 30 are all the things that, that he's talked about. So he's talked about uh, the freedom from sin. He's talked about being in the spirit as opposed to being in the flesh. He's talked about the fact that God uses suffering in our lives for his good and for his glory and for our good as well. It's a tie back to the previous topics of chapter 8. God uses these things. So it's a bit of a rhetorical question, if you will. What shall then we say to these things? Like how are they going to affect us is another way to say that question. Question number two, if God is for us, who can be against us? Again, it seems a bit like a rhetorical question on the surface. This is a bit of a no-brainer. But here's my question. Do we live in the ultimate reality that our enemies can't win? Do we operate in the Christian life day in and day out, somewhat to the degree that we're untouchable. Like not physically untouchable. If I, if I climbed to the top of the mountain and stepped off a rocky crag, uh, gravity and I have a special relationship. Let's put it that way, right? Gravity likes me a lot more than I like gravity. Gravity wins, right? So I'm not saying that we act foolish in that regard, that, that I'm untouchable in that way. But in regard to our enemies, in regard to the spiritual warfare that goes on every day, every moment where you're a target if you're a Christ follower, where things are playing out in our culture against you, not that, 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 that we take on as believers a victim mentality. That should be the last mentality that a Christian should have is a victim mentality. That somehow because we're wronged, uh, or, or constantly there's this push against Christianity in our culture that somehow we're a victim. We're not a victim. We just are on a different side. The good news for those who are in Christ, we're on God's side. So what's going to touch us? What's going to touch us? The moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, you step into the kingdom of God as his child. What's going to harm you? What's going to harm you eternally? Nothing. That's Paul's whole point. If God's for us, who's, who can be against us? There is no foe that can defeat God. So it's a bit of a no-brainer. But do we live in the ultimate reality that our enemies can't win? That your enemy, the enemy of your soul, cannot prevail over you in this life or the next. It's not going to happen if you're in Christ. Question number three. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all? It's kind of a tongue twister question. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
The idea is, is that if God loves you so much, like John 3.16 says, that he would offer up his, whole, his, his, his only son, that he would offer up a third of the Godhead for your sake and for my sake, why would he not give you everything else? That's Paul's question. Why would he not bless you with everything else? Verse 13 of John 3 says he didn't, he didn't come to condemn the world. It, it's not like he came in to just crash the whole thing, to shut it all down. God had already done that the time of Noah. He said, all right, I'm not going to judge the world this way again. Right? So Jesus didn't come to condemn he came to freely give. And their whole plan is to freely give to us, to those that would choose God, that those who would follow God, those who would trust in God, to freely give us all things. So we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need for life and godliness, the word says. There's a sweet spot to the victorious life in Christ. And the street address is grace and mercy. Many of us are tempted. We're tempted to end up on one end of the spectrum or the other. One, of the, one end of the spectrum is God owes me, them everything. It's kind of that victim mentality. Well, God owes me because I endured. Uh, God owes me because I went through. God owes me because... This is not fair. Life's not fair. So on one end of the spectrum is this mentality, this mindset that God owes, that God owes, that God owes. God owes him everything. The other end of the not-so-pretty rainbow, the other end of the spectrum is, is that God is mean and won't give us anything. God is an angry, uh, vengeful, spiteful, uh, rude, crude, callous God that is mean. He's just waiting to trip the hammer. He's just waiting to trip the hammer. Maybe you grew up with that mentality. Ah, nah, I'm not going to be good. Ah. And, and, and it's this balancing of the scales. And if I got too much bad, guess what? Ah. And we cringe. And here it comes. We're just waiting for the spring to trap. Somehow God's going to catch us in that trap. That he's a mean God. God's not a mean God. God's a loving God. He's a loving God. He motivates us out of his love. Right? That's his prime motivator. Not wrath. Not that God doesn't have just wrath. Not that he won't judge rightly but for the Christ follower God motivates us because of his love so we can live at that street address of grace and mercy because God's given us freely freely all things see God doesn't owe us anything yet he's perfectly and abundantly generous do we get that? Do we live in that reality of, of truth? That God doesn't owe us anything. He's not indebted to you or I. That's not it. But he is perfectly and abundantly gracious. 
to me and to you. That's the reality that we have to, to live in. Question number four that Paul brings out. Actually, I'm going to do four and five together for the sake of time. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And who is he who condemns? Both questions are similar sounding. Uh, the answer that I would give, the answer where I've been to this waypoint in life is that we're in Christ, we're shielded from the penalty that he paid by surrendering to the cross and our sins are forgiven. And Christ followers cannot be condemned because Jesus was condemned in their place. That's the reality of how we should live. And that's why the enemy plays the other side of the table to try to condemn you. To try to trick you, to try to trick me into thinking that, oh no, I'm, I, I'm condemned. Never going to be good enough for God. On my own, I'm not good enough for God. In Christ, when Christ, when God looks at me and sees that I'm in Christ, I'm perfect in Christ. That not my, those are not my efforts. Christ followers cannot be condemned because Jesus was condemned in their place. It made me think of a term that slipped in my mind. I know what it is. Uh, it's a legal term called double jeopardy. That you can't be con you can't be convicted of the same crime more than once. Double jeopardy. Isn't that the reality of what double jeopardy is? Yeah. Yeah, you can't be. Yeah. I know. Okay, Here, here's how we'll play this. Somebody that's not on, have their Bible app open on their phone can look up the term double jeopardy. But I'm pretty sure that's what it means. You can't be convicted for the same, for the same crime, crime twice. So if Jesus paid your penalty and you're in Christ then you've trusted him as your savior, that you're walking with him, that there's fruit on the vine, that you are his, you're following him daily, trusting in his goodness, proclaiming his name over your life, all of those types of things that indicate that you're a believer, that you have a testimony, that you have fruit that follows the testimony, that you're different than the way you used to be. Like all those things that we could see or touch or experience to know that, yeah, hey, that lady, man, she's a believer. That guy, sure enough, he's a Christian. He's totally different than the way he used to be. It's not just about change of behavior. It's about change of position. So you're in Christ, and if Jesus paid your penalty for your sins on the cross... How then later on could you come to a point of condemnation if you're in Christ? You can't. Jesus already paid for it. It's already paid for. So if, 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 if you have this mental picture like I do, you step in like, oh, you're in Christ. Zoom. Right? Away you go. Christ followers cannot be condemned because Jesus was condemned in their place. So really, nobody can bring a charge against God's elect. Who is he who condemns? 
Well, that's obvious. That's the enemy's constantly bringing condemnation to tear down and, and to break down God's followers. Number six, who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? And the answer is simple, no one. No one. Though he tries, Satan can, cannot drive a wedge between you and God. Not when you're in Christ. He can tempt you to, to sin even if you fall in that sin to a degree. Right? The Holy Spirit is there to convict you of what you've done, what I've done. Bring us back around. Bring us back to living a, a, a repentant lifestyle. That's actually the first thing that goes when somebody kind of falls away or, or uh, chooses a life of sin. The first thing that leaves actually is a repentant lifestyle. And oftentimes that repentant lifestyle is masked over by a lot of good works and things and deeds and, and ministry and, oh, wow, I'm serving God, we're serving God, we're serving God, but we're not, we're not living a repentant lifestyle. It's all a mirage. It's all fake. Living a repentant lifestyle, it's an indicator that in Christ relationship is, is, is alive and active. So nobody can separate, those who are in Christ, nobody can separate us from God's love. So the last question, verse 7, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, all of these things were alive and active They were a part of the normal, daily routine and struggle for the Christ followers in Rome. All of these. Think about it. First century. Caesars didn't much care for Christians. In fact, they tried to set them up and that Christians would take a fall for a lot of the, the issues in the Roman culture, in the Roman world. But shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, shall those separate you from the love of Christ? It's a tough waypoint to come to in life. It's a tough spot to come to when you're actually being persecuted for your faith. I'm not talking about comments on Facebook, by the way. When I'm talking about persecution for our faith, I'm talking about somebody in your face, meaning harm to you and, 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 and harm to your body because you're a Christ follower. That's persecution. Uh, things that people say, uh, well, it's pretty easy to, to avoid that persecution. You just go click. <laughs> that persecution goes away real fast when you're, you know, not part of that conversation. But I'm talking about the real deal. I mean, these are the real things. Tribulation, distress, famine, people going hungry. People not having enough to eat. Not having anything to share. Not having anything, you know, one meal a day or one meal every other day. Famine, nakedness, distress, or ultimately the sword. Shall they separate? Shall they separate us from the love of Christ 
See, verse seven, or chapter, the seventh question switches. There's a switch from the sixth to the seventh question. The sixth question is, who shall separate us? But the seventh question is really the what. Not who. There's a switch between those two questions. The first one talks about somebody. The, sec- the seventh question, the second half of that question actually, talks about the, the what. What can disrupt Jesus' love for us? None of these tough situations can separate you from how God thinks and feels and believes and loves you. It's impossible. In fact, last week we looked at how God uses the very things, some of these very same things that the enemy meant for harm, God's going to use some of these things in our lives for our good and for his glory. Um, Throughout life, I've found that um, some of these questions end up being a little bit more pronounced at different spots in life. Like I didn't, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I had a really cool shirt that had all this weird, I think I shared this already, had this, it had this funny drawing, you know, and it quoted this verse, and it had all the, you know, um, and so I had all these little pictures about tribulation, distress, and persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, all of that. It was just kind of a neat shirt. Like, that was my mentality towards this. I didn't think too much about it, right? 30 years later, <laughs> I've hit enough waypoints in life where these questions have stood out in a pronounced way, I I think about it a lot differently. We have to come back to the fundamental understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Paul inserts an interesting phrase in, uh, an interesting piece in verse 36. Go back to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 36. He kind of pauses in his thought process to, to emphasize his point differently. Verse 36 says, As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, and we're accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yeah, one of the phrases I actually see online a lot that kind of makes me like, I just kind of like, eh. I don't really like that phrase. You know what it is? The word sheeple. Anybody know what the word, everybody see the word sheeple? We see it all the time. It depends on what your perspective is in regard to sheeple. And and I, I, I'm not criticizing anybody perhaps that's here that may have, or online, that may have used that phrase because I get what the comments that I've read, that I get where people are coming from. My point is, is there's an upside to being a sheeple of God. Uh, and Paul uses this little this little phrase, and it's actually out of a song. It's out of a worship song. So it'd be akin to us today, you know, if I stopped and and quoted some lyrics out of one of the songs, like, your love never fails, that we sang this morning, you know, that phrase out of that song would get you thinking about that song. It would get you thinking about the context of that song. So Paul pauses and inserts here this idea from Psalm 44, verse 22. For your sake, we're killed all day long. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep 
to the slaughter. So there's a willingness on behalf of people that are following the Lord, according to the psalm, according to the, the song, and, and the idea that Paul is trying to encourage people, hey, hey, this is part of the Christian life. Like, this is, this is the normal part of the Christian life, that you're going to have a tough time. That's not often part of our message of encouragement. But I want to say by way of encouragement that God's going to be right there through the whole thing. He's going to be right there through the whole thing. Nothing's going to separate his, his love from you just because you're going through a difficult time. Sometimes this little jingle will help us to remember, though, the bigger truths of the Bible. Verse 37. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, everything that he's talked about, we're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. And that, that phrase has stumped me. Like, I've, I've been focused on that, on those five words all week long. We're more than conquerors. How, if... When we were playing football, the goal is to win. It doesn't matter what sports you're in. It doesn't matter what if you're playing Scrabble. I've seen, I've seen a particular family be so razzed up about playing a game of spoons. Right? People are diving over the table. People, cards are flying. Spoons are flying. We're, they're competitive. Why? They want to win. They want to conquer everybody else what does it mean to be more than that like we got to bust the table toss it out the window what does more than a conqueror really mean i've been focused on though that phrase that idea all week long i've always wondered what does it mean to be more than more than a conqueror? what's what's more than winning like i so i'm i'm pretty laid back in my personality but uh, i'm pretty competitive like when it's time to strap up it's time to strap up and go so when that's what it's all about it doesn't matter what it was it doesn't matter when i was playing basketball football baseball i was in it to win if you're not in it to win when you're you know competing i mean you're kind of just out there for a good time that's going to lead to frustration the goal is to win and so what does it mean to be more than winner what does it mean to be more than victorious a couple ideas hopefully you find them encouraging I found them encouraging is this idea that God overcomes with a greater power the power of Jesus it's not my effort it's not my ability uh, young men, your abilities will fade. I'm speaking from personal experience. Like fade. Like paint in the sun, fade. Uh, yesterday, yesterday, I'll, I'll pause to share this story because it really kind of struck home with me. So yesterday when uh, my good buddy Bill got the silage truck stuck in the mud, we were waiting for the other guy to show up with a chain so I could pull him out, and we're standing around talking, and, and there was a few, you know, rocks in the field or whatever, and I'm, I'm fanatical about tossing rocks out of the field because 
rocks cost me money. That's just the reality of farming. So I'm constantly just picking them up and, and tossing them. And, uh, and we're talking away, and, and I picked up three or four. On about the fifth rock, I was like, ooh, that don't feel good on my elbow. And uh, I was like, and these are just little rocks. They're not even heavy. But I noticed in that moment, mm, I used to have a pretty good arm. And uh, I could throw a softball or baseball a long ways. But now that I'm pushing on the 50 door, uh, I can't hardly throw a rock from here to the sound booth more than a few times without it hurting. It fades. It fades. Here's the thing. It's the power. God overcomes with a greater power. It's not my ability. Just a little picture about personal ability. It's not my ability to stay connected to Christ. My response, your response, our response is to simply follow. Keep trusting. Keep following. Keep believing in faith. God overcomes all these things with a greater power, the power of Jesus. He overcomes with a greater motive. A greater motive. The glory of Christ. He overcomes with a greater motive. The reason why I brought up the idea of encouragement, the reason why we're studying through this idea of, of, of not being separated from God's love is because love, Christ's love for you, Christ's love for me, love in general is the strongest motivator. There's a lot of powerful motivators that we can be, that we can be you know, pushed by. Guilt, shame, greed. There's, there's a lot of those types of things that are out there. Guilt's a powerful motivator. But it's not as powerful as love. Love is the most powerful motivator that there is. That's why in the greatest verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so, what? Loved the world. It doesn't say, For God so, guilt-tripped the world. It doesn't say, For God so, uh, uh, you know, Harass the world. It doesn't say for God so shame the world. It doesn't say for God so tease the world or or doesn't say for God so, you know, stick and carroted the world. That's not even a real sentence. Why did I say that? For God so loved the world. Love is the most powerful motivator there is. It's because God operates out of that, that way. Out of encouragement, right? He overcomes with the greatest motive, the glory of Jesus. Because Jesus loves us. He overcomes with the greatest victory, losing nothing even in the battle. Nothing's lost in the battle when God's in charge, right? Nothing's lost. He overcomes with the greater victory. And he overcomes with the greater love, Conquering the enemies with love and converting persecutors with patience. That's Paul's story in a nutshell. Paul was the church's greatest persecutor. But in time, God made the greatest switch. He took, took the other team's greatest player and said, ah, I'm going to grab him. He's my guy. He's one of the guys. 
brings him over to his team. Verse 38 and 39, let's read it here. For I'm persuaded, persuaded, persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul ends the chapter with another list of things that, that, that cannot have an eternal effect. They cannot have the effect that they want to have. Or the enemy can, cannot use them in a way that's going to pull God's love away from you. God's the perfect father. Always encouraging his kids to grow. Always encouraging his kids to overcome any obstacle. And to climb up over any problem. We can live we can live in the more than realm. You guys get that? Like, we are called, as Christ followers, we are called to live in the more than. The more than conquerors, we're called to live in that realm. That the things that happen here on earth, they're only temporal. The things that come against us, the, any of the, the negative things that we've read through here in these verses, any of the persecution, any of the tribulation, any of the struggle, clear down to death, is only temporal. That's it. That's it. One of the most encouraging verses that I've probably read in the last two months is out of the uh, book of Job, chapter 13. I, I'm reeling in my mind to try to figure out the particular verse, but it's in chapter 13. And it's where Paul, or it's where Job, Paul, it's where Job says this about God. This is how much Job understood being right with God. Job says this, Though he slay me, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. That's the type of mentality that God is encouraging here. That's a, that it doesn't matter what happens, I'm still going to trust. Though God himself kills me, slays me, Job says, Yet I will trust in him. Understanding that, that regardless of what happens, God has a bigger purpose, a bigger plan, and nothing can separate his love from you when you're in Christ. Nothing can. So oftentimes the, the, the right view is that these things that happen to us here on earth, are just, they're just temporary. It's just a season. We don't know how long our particular seasons may last. Maybe up into our 80s, 90s, 100 maybe. It's just a season. As we live in and for Jesus, knowing, trusting, and experiencing that nothing can interrupt his love for us. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Worship team, will you come on up? We'll close with the song. Just in, uh, I knew it would be a little bit on the brief side. I wanted to, uh, to keep it brief from the standpoint that um, I know you guys are celebrating Father's Day. And uh, if I look through the window, the sun's shining. And uh, I want to get outside with you guys. So happy Father's Day. Just encourage you to uh, spend the day with your family. Uh, be grateful. 
Be grateful for who God is. Be grateful for the people that are around you, those father figures, uh, your own dads. Uh, Be grateful for their influence uh, in your life. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. We'll close with this song.